Hey everyone, Chris here. You may notice fewer sound effects for season 3. Trying to decide between a hundred different iterations of footsteps on varying surfaces takes a lot more time than you think. I'm trying to streamline things a bit, to give me some more time for another project, my first novel. I don't think it changes anything too much, but I just wanted to let you know. Anyway, here's the episode. Welcome back to Season 3 of the How to Sissend Podcast, home to my original short fiction. I'm Chris, and this episode is about gifts. It seems like a strange custom, really, gift-giving. Sort of a roundabout way of maintaining equilibrium with friends and family, since they'll likely gift you something at your next life event. A fair exchange of things they may or may not ever use for things you may or may not ever use. I sound ungrateful. The practice is curious, if not a little befuddling, but I do enjoy thoughtful gifts, both giving and receiving. Even trinkets that seem cheap or tacky acquire different value when gifted by your grandmother with dementia, who refers to you by your father's first name because, well, you look just like him at your age. Then there are the things that are too good to be true. The homeless man who offers you a gas station gift card if only you could offer some compensation in return. A shifty-eyed man gives you a sealed box with a slightly concerning tendency to make weird groaning noises at midnight. The phrase this story's title is based on was seen as an insulting act. Horses have been and remain prized as working animals and hobbies. Why would the receiver look at the animal in the mouth for signs of malnutrition, disease, or age instead of accepting the gift graciously? I read a story once though I'm sorry to say that I can't seem to find its source for appropriate credit. A noble and his neighbor were rivals, somewhat bitterly, but always with a degree of civility. One day, the neighbor received a horse with a note that it had come from the nearby noble. It was accepted without question, and was a matter the neighbor mentioned to anyone that would hear of it, since it finally seemed that the noble acknowledged he was bested. The horse soon required medical attention, and the neighbor spared no expense on its well-being. On it went, with more and more conditions warranting treatment for the chronically ill animal, to the extent that it bankrupted the neighbor, to the delight of the seemingly altruistic noble. This story is called, Look a Gift Horse in the Mouth. Only Rust and Hope hold the white sedan together. It pitches back and forth on bald tires and worn struts like a sinking ship in a monsoon. I can think of no more fitting chariot for the great benefactor and deceiver of Tilden, Texas. Pitiful. Here he comes, the great Saint Alvaro, coming to grace us again with his presence. I laugh, a smile skirting across my face. It seems a shame that such wit is kept to myself. So I look around to find someone to share it with but find only soft-minded fools scurrying around like chickens at feeding time. Alvaro's here, they cry, crowding the sidewalks of Hackberry Street four or five deep like it was the damn Fourth of July parade. Instead, it's some shyster pushing off his probably stolen wares. They have to be stolen. How else could Alvaro afford to give this stuff away? I rationalize to myself, swishing the last tepid dregs of beer in my mouth make them last just a little longer. 
I feel my ears glow ruby red, and I rub them to try and push the blood back into my head. Can't believe he's pushing illicit contraband on these people, and no one does anything. Hell, I'm surprised nobody's erected a statue of him on their lawns yet. I gesture around me with my now empty beer can. Methamphetamine is somehow involved in this, I'm sure of it. I believe this with all my heart, too. I spend the next few minutes conjuring up a plan to expose Alvaro and report him to the authorities, as I've done on every one of his previous visits. The white jalopy crawls to a stop with grating brakes in front of the yellow door of Jocelyn Clemens, the engine wheezing like some lumbering beast, hacking out the last gasps of life before falling dead. People try to get Alvaro's attention, laughing, crying, and just working themselves up in hysterics. All I can do is not spit out my beer and tell these fools how stupid they really are. Out steps Alvaro, that angel, that slippery eel, all smiles and returns their dumb waves. My porch is about a hundred feet from him, but it's evident to me that it's all an act, the grin forced, the wave rigid and mechanical. His shirt is worn through its original color, whatever it was, and his pants are too baggy, even though his brown belt is pulled taut far beyond the original holes. He looks like those mechanical presidents at theme parks, going through the motions of what people want and expect to see. He beckons everyone over to the open trunk to begin the hours-long spectacle. The crowd congeals into a crude line behind the white sedan, with Ayla Hebert first in line. Ayla steps forward, and Alvaro's eyes glass over, and he blanches. It's a queer reaction, and not even I know what to make of it. Then it dawns on me. Alvaro's having second thoughts? It's gone in a flash, but it was there. Fear. Trepidation. That greedy reptile. He makes a big show of his generosity, then recoils when these poor, needy souls reach out for help? Alvaro's arms fly up to Ayla's shoulders, gripping them lightly, and he plays it off as if to welcome her. I swallow my beer. It's the only thing to keep from screaming. That snake. Comes out here and gets all protective about the stuff he freely gives away. The anger boils over and gives way to acid that bubbles up in my throat, and the burning tempers my rage. Alvaro reaches into the trunk, pulling out several bags of groceries and gas gift cards. Ayla squeals and collapses into Alvaro's arms as the mob bursts into a game show applause track. Her back heaves with each sob, and I roll my eyes. Noah Fontenot is next, and he gets two cases of Bud Light and three cartons of cigarettes. My mouth waters when I see the riches bestowed on that old mummified fart, but I will stay in my lawn chair. I've never lined up for a handout from that charlatan, and plan on continuing that streak. On it goes, with old Alvaro pulling out bags of flour, cases of diapers, spark plugs, and whole chickens out of the back of that off-white road hazard. The sun hangs low now in the sky, the crowd long dispersed. The shakes are setting in, and I'm far too close to sober for my own liking. Alvaro has been staring at me for almost twenty minutes, doing an absurd pacing dance every so often. Finally, he waves me over. Like I said, I've never taken part in this circus before. But the shakes were awful. And the feeling of beer, even if it was boiling hot from the sun, would be sweet nectar. Alvaro smiles as I approach, and I do my best to hide the trembling in my arms. I glower at him, 
mulling over the chance to put him in his place with a punch to the mouth. That is, until I got a closer look at him. He looks half dead, with sunken eyes and a leathery face full of wrinkles like he'd spent his entire life before the blazing sun. Alvaro looks up at me, the muscles in his neck straining through his skin. His fossilized eyes roll down to the open trunk. Go on, he wheezes. Reach in with both hands. Everyone else gets the VIP treatment, but I have to serve myself? I scoff, loud enough for him to hear, but he doesn't react. I hesitate, but my body throbs for the soothing salve of alcohol, and I reach in. A breeze comes from inside the car that hits my face, a wave of air with its own body and force that smells musty and stale. The trunk space was a void so dark that it could have been the source of the night itself. I grope in every direction, but can't feel anything. Not beer, not the floor of the trunk, not even the back of the seats. My arms feel like they're in a vat of cold, viscous snot. Then something lurches into my open palms, rough and wet like shark skin. I recoil, but my arms are cemented in place. Panic has no time to set in, because two objects present themselves into my palms. I struggle with their weight at that angle but I managed to yank out my prizes. In my right hand is a case of my drink of choice, Schaefer Light. My God, is it beautiful. In my left hand is something I'd never seen outside of movies. Even in the sun's dying light, the gold ingot shimmers brilliantly. It's all yours, Conrad, Alvaro says, and hands me the keys. Is there more? I ask my eyes transfixed to the bar shaking gently in my hand. Alvaro shrugs his shoulders, which are jagged and bony. There is no limit to the avarice of man, he says. Then, the first taste is always free. I tear my gaze up from the shimmering metal. Why me? It chose you, and I'm too tired to stop it any longer. My end is near. The calls for my replacement were incessant and saturated my every thought until I could deny it no longer. Alvaro's eyes are bloodshot, and his voice is fine-grained sandpaper on glass. What happens next is and isn't in your control. He sighs and walks off towards the main road and the west end of town. I hide the gold under my shirt, its frigid surface drawing goosebumps as I crack open the case and drain a can of Schaefer in several quick gulps. Having sufficiently recovered, I stand in disbelief until long after night sets in for good. I have to do something about the car. I finally resolve. Everyone knows Alvaro's old car, so it won't do to keep it here. If I park it in my driveway, they'll come asking questions. They'll, they'll try to take it from me, I tell myself. I decide I'll drive it outside of town, hide it somewhere and return to it later. Not much of a plan, but it was good enough for now. The engine turns over with the wine, and I steer it down the road. My second beer is still ice cold somehow, and the condensation courses down my left arm resting out the open window. It feels good. Damn good. In a way that only freedom can bring. I allow myself to dream of what the riches will buy. A trip to Vegas? Going to every beach possible. Maybe a companion?
Even in my prime, I was never considered handsome. But you can shift focus with enough money. I'm sure some young woman can overlook my shortcomings if I show her that I can provide for her. With this, I glance at the glove box where I'd stashed the gold brick. A cross breeze works through the cabin, and I'm just now aware that I'm dripping in sweat. It's pouring out of me, beating down my back, though I could swear it feels like fingers sliding down my spine. The road noise beneath the tires cuts out as the engine sputters and coughs. The fuel gauge shows full, but collapses toward empty when I tap it. Damn you, Alvaro, you cheap bastard. I spit as the engine dies. As fate would have it, I have only to look ahead, and the lucky stop comes into view. I can't help but marvel at my good fortune as I drop the transmission to neutral and coast in. The lucky stop services all needs out here. Liquor store, food mart, pharmacy, and its rusted, beige exterior has been both lifeline and oasis for me many a time when the shakes take hold. I pull into pump one, the brakes erupting in high-pitched protest. The noise is enough to wake the dead and catches the attention of a trio near the entrance, whom I don't recognize. Ignore them. Fortune favors the bold. I coach myself and step out, with the bravado of a man several decades my junior. The group's gaze drops to their tall boy beers as I pass them. Useless drunks, I muse, swinging open the doors of the lucky stop like John Wayne. I put ten dollars on the pump and emerge into what I can best term as a shitstorm. Son of a... Hey! I call out with the composure and dignity of a child mid-tantrum. The white car's doors are open, along with the trunk and the glove box. The vehicle is a rat's nest of rancid food wrappers and scraps of paper which now spill out on the pavement. One of the men wearing a black, sweat-stained cowboy hat is staring at something in his hands. The gold bar's rich luster is unmistakable. Where'd you get it? Asked the man dressed in a weathered denim jacket, standing next to the sweat-stained cowboy. I stamp over to them, but feel a hand the size of a hubcap clap me in the chest. I trace the arm attached to it, to a big bull of a man, with a head that tapered sharply at the top, and wide-set eyes like a frog. Mac asked you something, he blurts out with fire in his eyes, like I just insulted his mother. Not yours, is all I can manage with wilting resolve. I turn back to the building, but the clerk is latching the doors and the lights are shut off. Cavalry's not coming, I tell myself. He don't listen too good, does he, boys? The one the frog-eyed giant called Mac says in a sing-song voice. Frog-eyes and the cowboy grunt with laughter. Davy, help him clear his ears out. A blow lands to the back of my head, and stars explode across my eyes. Another fist smacks in the soft part of my back below the ribs. I taste metal and crumple like cheap paper to my knees next to the car, and look up at frog-eyed Davy squinting at me with the same burning hatred. Is that better? Asks Mac as he steps towards me. Dark liquid spills from my head, pooling in my eyes and burning like acid. Where did you get it? Mac whispers. His breath reeks of untreated gum disease. I answer between choking sobs. I pulled it from the trunk. I just reached in and pulled it out. Mac stands. His eyes glitter with the promise of more wealth. 
and walks to the car's rear. It won't be much longer, I think. The cold calculus of the situation results in my getting robbed and left there, possibly alive, though the alternative is looking increasingly likely. I'm suddenly exhausted, and I lean against the wheels of the white sedan to rest my eyes. Feels like snot back here. What type of bullshit? Are the last words Mac leaves the world before a wet gurgling fills the air. There's a metallic thud joined by the car's creaking struts. The overhead halogen lights flicker, coming back with the electric hum of a bug zapper. M-Mac? Frog-eyed Davy murmurs, the stony glare crumbling from his face. He kneads his hands together and stumbles to the back of the car. Mac! He yells, with such deafening volume that the scream is probably still traveling across the South Texas plains to this day. The commotion pulls me out of my concussed sleep, and I lean out to get a better look. Brandon, get over here! Frog-eyed Davy pleads to the sweat-stained cowboy, who rounds the back of the car, making terrible yelping noises. Get in there and help him! Frog-eyed Davy screams. And before the sweat-stained cowboy can protest, he's pushed headfirst into the trunk, ankles held in Frog-eyed Davy's massive palms. The car lurches again, and I can see Frog-Eyed Davy turn red in the face, his arms quivering with strain. There's a howl, primitive and deep, the kind of sound that can't be recreated outside the threat of death, coming from the trunk and the sweat-stained cowboy. The sound steals my breath, and now I'm well and truly terrified. The sweat-stained cowboy's legs rip out of the massive palms of Frog-Eyed Davy with such force that I can hear the crack of broken bones and can see frog-eyed Davy's fingers hang from his hands like limp sausages. I hear the car struts groan again, and the car's entire rear end falls to the ground, the tires bulging as if from a tremendous weight. A cloaked figure emerges from the trunk, wrapped in a shawl of shadows, with wisps of smoke rising above it. Frog-eyed Davy soils himself, a dark puddle growing between his legs, and he shuffles backward. The figure doesn't react. Instead, it watches Frog-Eyed Davy until he's about 20 feet away. Only then does the figure not fall. It draws to the floor, coiling upon itself, before skittering on legs. Oh, God, so many long, thin black legs. It closes the distance in the blink of an eye with the speed of a kerosene flame. The high-pitched scream climbs higher and higher, entering impossible vocal registers. I can't tell if these end abruptly or if they're simply drowned out by a cacophony of ripping and tearing. Either way, frog-eyed Davy is quickly deconstructed into a quivering mass. The crunching and slurping cease, and the figure rises. It swings its head slowly around, drinking in its surroundings like a tourist at the beach. Then it turns to me. It whispers in a hollow and raspy voice. I swear on my mother's grave, my heart stops at the sound of my name's utterance by whatever this was, but a new trill of panic restarts it. Sorry for all that. It's been quite some time since I've enjoyed the carnal pleasures of a meal. Truth be told, I was satiated by the second course, but it tasted so good that I couldn't help myself. That last one was so rich, 
the fat that wrapped around its midsection congealed onto the roof of my mouth. Don't you just hate when that happens? It says to me. I'm struck by the silence surrounding me. The sound of the night isn't quiet, I decide. If you listen close enough, it's a muted drone from every possible sound that could be made at that moment, shrouded in darkness. It's deafening, and when it finds words, it sounds like whatever this cloaked monstrosity is. Your wishes? It asks. My what? I stutter. That's the pact of the genie. Sorry, your anglicized word for it would be genie. I couldn't see a face, only swirls of black miasma, but I imagine it said that with a smile, perhaps through grit teeth. A wish per sacrifice. That's what we have right here, my dear Conrad. What wishes I stammer. My head pounds. And despite the dreadful thing before me, I want nothing more than to sleep, right after I get hold of enough beer to blot this from my memory. Yes, three of them. You should know that the bar is set pretty low from the last guy. Alvaro, I believe his name was. Ever since his lover overdosed, he's been on some sort of journey of retribution, turning me into a charity. Before you ask, the overdose was not my fault. I provide the means to an end, like a hammer or a gun. The tool does not kill. It simply moves with the wish of the wielder. I don't know, I say, remembering the case of beer in the front seat of the sedan. I need the reassurance of it now more than ever, and crane my head so I can keep the thing in my sight. I drain several cans. I don't know how much time has passed, but there's still ice cold, the last of which I enjoy with my eyes closed. A column of smoke forms in front of me, the genie making its presence known. I've nothing but time, dear Conrad. I belong to you, and you to me. We're in this together. It sighs. I feel a numbing tickle enshroud me, the alcohol hard at work, and I don't sense as much of the initial panic. Tell you what, the genie tells me. I heard mention of Vegas earlier. Wonderful little bit of sin, that. What say we make our way there? In uh, this? I say with a burp, gesturing to the rusting white sedan. I swear I see a smile again in the smoke. That's the spirit gone. What about now? It hisses. The car is now a 1967 Corvette Stingray, glistening under the gas station lights, as black as the inside of your eyelids. I sink into the driver's seat and look at myself in the rear view. Damn, I look good in this car, I think. But notice that my eyes look just a bit more hollow, my face a bit more gaunt. I brush this off and caress the wooden steering wheel. I feel a similar action on my back through the seat's fabric. What say we have some fun? Wheezes a bodiless voice, and the engine roars to life. The wheels squeal as I gun it, the silhouette of Tilden, Texas, little more than a ghost in my rear view. 
Thanks for listening. Stay up to date by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. On Instagram at hdte.mp3 and my website, howdoesthisend.co. Support the show by sharing with friends, rate the episodes, or join the Patreon. Special thanks to producer Halice Clemens Narvaez and patrons Alex Cavazos, Linda Clemens, Liz Walker, Lucy McKay, Tiffany Wu, and Zans. Your support and belief fuel me. Artwork for this season comes from Diego Almasan. Diego is a bottomless well of creative energy and technical knowledge. He's a game developer, 2D artist, and has experience in too many areas to list here. Find him at Warped Core Studio on Instagram, on LinkedIn, or check out the game he developed from scratch, Aqualungers, available now on Steam and the Nintendo Switch. Music for this episode is from Epidemic Sound. The How Does This End podcast is a Stumblewell production and is brought to you for Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. Be well, do good, and until next time.